Hello, and welcome to Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth. We're so happy that you decided to join us today. This is the teaching podcast from our Sunday worship service, recorded at the Liberty Center in Elizabeth, New Jersey. Our goal as a church is to love God, make disciples, and change the world. We hope that this message inspires you and helps to lead you deeper in your relationship with Jesus. Enjoy. Today is a very, very special day because does anyone know what book we're going to be talking about today? The, the book of Revelation. For those of you that don't know, in our church from the beginning of the year, every Sunday, we dove into a different book of the Bible. So we started in Genesis and we've gone through it doing like a book survey and pulling out key lessons that we can learn from the different books. So today's a very important day because we made it to the very end. So why don't we thank God? So I'm not going to ask you how many of you have read the book of Revelation. So many times people want to stay away from that book, even though we should be reading that book. But even if you haven't read the book of Revelation or looked into other scriptures when it talks about the end times and the last days, there's certain phrases that I know that I think 99.1% of us have heard before. If you've heard this phrase before, you could just do a little shout or something. Antichrist, Mark of the um, Beast, 666, the wrath of God, tribulation time period, the battle of Armageddon, the final judgment. So right there you see that these are phrases that we've heard of. And a lot of them is through movies. Like throughout the years, there is literally estimated a thousand movies that were created dealing with the end times. A thousand movies and about a hundred TV shows. But what's really important as Christians We don't want our truth that has to do with the end times, the last days, to be given to us through movies, but through God's word. So, so many times we just glean on what we've seen in a movie, but what does God's word has to do with it? I'm going to show you a slide. Some of you might remember these movies from back in the day. It's going to pop up. No, that's not a movie. Oh, almost. Hopefully, Thief of the Night. All right. How many of you remember the Thief of the Night? It's a big movie. Do we have images? I'm sorry. I'm really almost. All right. So we just want to even tell the movies. We have the Thief of the Night, which is a big movie that pretty much came out in 1972. How many of you have seen it? You know, some of you have seen it. That's definitely a movie that will like shock many of us, The Thief of the Night. A Distant Thunder is a big one that came out in 1978. And also there was the Left Behind series as well. The Left Behind series was one that came out in 2000 with Kirk Cameron. And there's been many others. I don't know if we, did you get them? 
No? <laughs> Billy just gave me the nod up there. Also, even Mr. T was in a movie. Mr. T was in a movie called Judgment in 2001. Now, something that's important for us to realize is that the topic of the end times, the last days, is not just found in the book of Revelation. There's many books of the Bible, the book of Daniel, Ezekiel, Zechariah, Isaiah, Joel, Amos, Malachi. Also in the Gospels, you could um, listen to Jesus' words talking about the end times. And in addition to that, out of the 27 New Testament books, 23 of them talk about Jesus is coming, that Jesus is going to come. So it's impossible to go over and discuss everything in the book of Revelations. And to be honest with you, you might have more questions than answers before we're done, but we will start to dive in. I started to lose my voice a little bit, so bear with me, bear with me. So we're going to start off by pretty much highlighting that the book of Revelation starts off with a promise, a promise. And it says this in Revelation chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. So right here in the book of Revelation, right in the beginning, there's a promise for every person that listens to the word and reads the word. And I don't know about you, I want to be blessed by God. And without question, reading the book of Revelation is a book we should be reading and not running away from it. It's interesting because most Christians run away from the book of Revelation because they find it confusing, certain things a little weird, and it's hard for them to make certain connections. But I really feel that it's the enemy that's trying to keep Christians away from reading the book of Revelation. It might come across weird to all of us being from New Jersey, Elizabeth, living in 2022, but it didn't come across weird to someone that was a Jew living in Jesus's day and that era during uh, afterwards as well, because pretty much what is said in the book of Revelation, there's 404 verses altogether and 360 verses out of the 404 there's references and imagery of the Old Testament. So to better understand the book of Revelation, you need to read the Old Testament because the more you understand the Old Testament, when you see the imagery, when you see the symbolisms, you'll be able to start making connections. So it's weird to us because we're not used to a lot of times reading that, especially if we haven't read the Old Testament well, but If you know the Old Testament well, like the Jews did, pretty much all that imagery and symbolism made sense. So the goal of this teaching is going to be a slide behind me. It should be, hopefully. Okay, right there. The goal of this teaching is not to unravel all of the mysteries in the book of Revelation, but to give you an overview, an explanation of the main message, the main message. So we're going to go over a couple quick facts about the book. The type of book, it's a prophetic book. 
There's 22 chapters. The date written is 90 AD to 95 AD. And the audience is the church. So I know we have the church here. This is the church of God. Um, So the audience is the church. The book of Revelation wasn't written for unbelievers, but to believers. And the author is the apostle John, and he was exiled to what island? The island of Patmos. I had the opportunity with Jen to go to the island of Patmos. We pretty much went to the church that, um, that they have during that time. Uh, they have there in the island of Patmos today, pretty much honoring John, uh, the apostle, for everything that he did. But you know why he was exiled to the island of Patmos? Because the island of Patmos, all the criminals were sent there to island of Patmos. You know why the apostle uh, John was sent there? For preaching the gospel, for talking about Jesus. They were trying to silence the apostle John. So they put him in the island of Patmos and God gives him the revelation to write the book of Revelation. So here is, that's just to show you how amazing God is. Everyone was trying to silence John and God's like, don't worry, even though you're in prison, you're going to end up getting a revelation that's going to impact countless lives for generations to come. The Greek word for the word revelation means the unveiling. So there's an unveiling that occurs throughout this book. I'm excited that my birthday is coming up soon. January 6th, I'm turning 25 years old. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Some of you are surprised. 25 years old, 25 plus a little bit more. I can't believe that time goes by really fast. But January 6th is my birthday. And I know I'm getting old, even though I'm 25, because when you, at a certain point, you stay there, right? No matter what anyone asks you, you always stay, you're at 25. Some of you, you, some of you say you're teenagers and you're like 60, 70. I get you. We, we, ha- we have to find the number that's good for us. But I know I'm getting older because I'm wearing progressive lenses. And I just got them two weeks ago for the first time. Entonces me estoy poniendo viejito. I actually can't see you guys up there right now. <laughs> so it's a little, how many of you have progressives? All right, look at the honesty right there. It's like, you're admitting, it's like, me estoy viejito también. So I, I have the progressives, but it's so weird because even when I glance over at my paper, I have to look down, then look up, and there's no line to show the difference. But it's so cool because you get to see like clearly what's close to you and what's far away. So when you think of the book of Revelation, I want you to think of the apostle John wearing spiritual progressive lenses because what he writes is about things that are happening close to him at that time, but he's also writing about things that happen far away as well. So he had spiritual progressive lenses Um, pretty much the Apostle John. The key verse for the book of Revelation that I'm highlighting is Revelation chapter 1, verse 19. It says this, Write therefore what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later. So right here in this one verse is the division of the book of Revelation. 
you might wonder, it's like, you know, what is in the book of Revelation? This is a division. Literally, all you need is this verse because literally, when, if you look at the verse right behind you, he says, write down what you've, you've seen. Then he says, what is now, what is taking place. And then it says, what will take place later? That's how the book of Revelation is divided. And you're going to see the book division behind me now. Pretty much, there's three parts there. Literally, what you've seen, Revelation chapter 1, he saw a vision of heaven and of Jesus. So he wrote down what he saw. So any of you that read Revelation chapter 1, you'll be able to see um, pretty much what, read what John ended up seeing. Part two is what is now. Revelation chapter 2 to 3 highlights seven churches that God was speaking to specifically at that time. So that's what was happening then. But what's amazing is that the message to those seven churches are timeless. They apply to all of us, every church throughout the world. So what is now? And then lastly is what will take place later. Revelations chapter 4 to 22, you could say the last days. Of course, there's a couple other things there, but the last days. I want to highlight real quick the seven messages that were given to the churches of that time. And I think it's important because this is God's heart to the church. And there are certain messages here that might speak to your heart, that might encourage you, might convict you, might lead you closer to be with God. So here you'll see the seven main messages. A call to return to your first love. I don't know about you, but maybe you have ran away from God and it's time to return to your first love. I know we've all been there in one moment or another. A call not, not to fear. A call not to compromise. A call not to tolerate sin. A call to spiritual revival a call to persevere, and a call to open your heart. So right there, those are the key messages from Revelations chapter 2 to 3 to the churches of that day. But I really believe that this message could easily be applied to the churches of today as well. So before continuing, as we talk more about the last days and everything in the book of Revelation, we're going to go over seven terms. There's seven terms that's important for us to know. And I want you to pay attention because there's going to be a quiz in the end. So don't get nervous, but there's going to be a quiz. And you have to pay attention to make sure that you know these things. So the first one is the church age. How many of you have heard that term before, church age? So the church age is the age of grace. It's pretty much the time period that we're in right now. Right now, this moment, we're in the church age, the age of grace, where God is literally just wanting every single person to be saved and the gospel to be preached to the ends of the earth. And literally, we're, it's the time period where there's grace being poured out for every single one of us. The second term is the rapture. And I, I put there the pickup 
And then that's why you see the taxi. Maybe it's an Uber. I don't know how Jesus is going to come, maybe bring us with a spiritual Uber or something. But the rapture, that word in itself is not found in the Bible, but it describes the moment when Jesus comes for his church. Jesus comes to pick up his church. And that's a moment that each, each of us, we really long for. We, we want to be with God. And that's a moment where Jesus comes to pick up his church. And I know that we've heard that term before. Rapture, how many of you have heard that term before? All right, most of you. And I know some of these terms are completely new to some of us. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 to 17, it says this. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we will be with the Lord forever. Now, there's other verses through the Bible that talk about the rapture. We don't have time to go over it, but this is one of the key ones that I wanted to highlight. The third term is the tribulation time period. The tribulation time period is the wrath of God being poured out on the world because of sin. And the tribulation time period, does anyone know how many years the Bible says it's going to be for? Seven years. And halfway, in the halfway mark, pretty much is called the great tribulation where everything intensify in the second half of the tribulation. Now, the way I see it, I don't know if this ever happened to you, but sometimes when I was younger, I was with my mom and my dad. And literally, we might be in a location and we're acting up a little bit. And my mom or dad looked at us and said, wait till we get home. Like, how many of you have ever experienced that? I know, like, wait till you get home. And you know that the wrath of mom and dad is going to come down on you the moment you get home. And during that that time period, there's grace because there's a reason for it. Mom or dad doesn't want to bring justice at that time period. And they're giving you grace. But the wrath will eventually come. Some of us wonder, like, how come there's so much evil in this world? How come so many things are happen and goes untold or unaddressed by God? There will come a day when God's justice will come down on this earth and his wrath will come down on this um, earth. So that's something that we need to realize. And the seven years of tribulation, that's pretty much, you see the highlights when you read the scriptures about the seven seals the seven trumpets, and the seven bowls. The fourth term is this, the second coming. When Jesus comes back, Jesus will come back, but when he comes back, he's going to come like a victorious king. He's not coming like a little baby in a manger like we're celebrating during Christmas during this time, but he's coming back as a victorious king to rule on this earth. Okay, so Jesus is coming back, And that's known as the second coming. And the fifth term is the millennium. It's there. So when Jesus comes back, what the Bible says is that Jesus is going to rule on this earth for a thousand years with his church. And the enemy is going to pretty much uh, be put aside, you could say, where he's not going to have access to be able to torment people anymore 
during that time period of reign. Number six, the final judgment before King Jesus. Every single person will have to stand before God. The book of Revelation actually talks about a couple different judgments. I mean, when it comes to to this, uh, the final judgment where you stand before God, believers will stand before God, unbelievers will stand before God. But just to keep things simple, just think of final judgment. Every single one of us will have to give an account. Just think about that. One day, every single one of us will have to give an account to God for the things we've done, the things we've said, the things we didn't do as well. So that's something we have to keep in mind. And the last term I want you to know, I told you it's seven of them, is the eternal state. The eternal state is pretty much the fi- what happens when everything is said and done. In the end of the book of the Revelation, Revelation chapter 21 and 22 pretty much says that the world and heaven will be destroyed. And he's going to create a new heaven and earth for us to live in forever. So you could read Revelation chapter 21 and 22 for yourself, but that's what it says. The eternal state, pretty much at the very end, God's going to create all things new. Heaven and earth will be new and his church, his family will live with them forever in all eternity. So how many of you are ready for the quiz? I hope you didn't go sleeping on me. Uh, how many of you are ready for the quiz? So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to tell you the phrase, and you have to tell me the name that goes with it, okay? So the first one is this, the season that we find ourselves currently in. Okay, the church age, the age of grace, if you guessed that, you got it right. Okay, the second one is this, when Jesus himself will pick us up. All right, the rapture, the pickup, okay. The next one, when God judges the evil in this world. Tribulation, all right, you got that, you got that, tribulation, you're doing good. How many of you got you're three for three? All right, so many three for three, okay, okay. You guys, you guys are paying attention. We should have a prize or something at the end. All right, the next one, when King Jesus comes back, the second coming, the return, when Jesus literally reigns on earth or during this time, the millennium, how long is the millennium? A thousand years is a thousand year reign. Every person will give an account. Yo, yo, ushers, give her a prize. No, no, no. Final judgment, okay? And lastly, the final condition of things after everything's said and done. It, someone said New Jerusalem. It, 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 well, eternal state, uh, obviously, it's going to be a new heaven and earth. And pretty much we know that God has something very special in store for all of us. So I know we went over those terms and it was important for us to go over these terms as I show you the next slide. I'm gonna show you a timeline of pretty much what the Bible highlights of how it's gonna occur. Now, I wanna tell you, there's a lot of things that are not in detail and there's certain things that are debated by the greatest minds 
of Christianity throughout the generations. But here we're going to highlight it so you could see and have an idea of what it looks like. So it says timeline, the book of Revelation. In the beginning is the present church age. That's us. You could put your, like, if, if I could put your face or your little emoji or something, you would be there. The present church age. We're all there at this very moment, the age of grace. Then up, um, you'll see the tribulation time period on the bottom, judgment. And on top, it says the rapture, the pickup. But the reason why you see three little arrows, like kind of like we are here, is because the greatest minds of Christianity have debated on when exactly it's going to take place. And I think it's important for us to know that because there's some people that believe the rapture occurs right before the tribulation. There's people who believe right before. Some Christians believe it happens right in the middle right in the middle of tribulation. And some people believe it happens at the end of the tribulation. And how I said, this is something that's debated by the greatest minds. A lot of these Christians, they have specific verses that they like to use for it. And I know that we have our own conviction on what we believe, but I think it's important for us to know that that is something that's debated. So right after that, regardless, regardless, of where you stand on where the rapture is, it doesn't change the fact that we got to be ready. It doesn't change the fact we got to be ready and we got to do God's work and we have to do what God's called us to do. So after the tribulation, it ends the second coming of Jesus, how you see right there. He reigns on earth for a thousand years with his church, the final judgment and eternal state. So there you get an idea of the flow of what the scripture highlights with that. Now, I I know some of us might think it's like, how could Christians debate on certain topics of the Bible so wholeheartedly? Like, can't we all just focus and agree on one thing? So I have a question for you, just to settle that once and for all. What color is this dress behind me? What color is that dress? I heard, I heard some people say blue, blue and black. I heard white and gold. How many of you see white and gold? Raise your hand. All right. I see some hands, white and gold. How many see blue and black? Okay. A couple of hands. I, how many of you remember when this went viral in social media? It, it was crazy. It went viral. I remember when I was looking at it, I completely saw it. Like, I'm trying to remember if I was blue or black or white and gold, whichever I was. I just know I went to Jen. I was like, Jen, what do you see? And she was the opposite, 100% the opposite. I was like, are you serious? And we're sitting there debating on what color this dress is with the image right in front of us. And in the same way, when you think about it, the, the book of Revelation and the topic of the end times, and not just that topic, many other topics, It's debated, and there's many different specific viewpoints. But without question, we need to realize that there's certain foundational things that we could all agree on. 
Right now, there's going to be a point behind me. It says this, scripture doesn't give us all of the details or an exact time period of every end time event. It doesn't give us all the details. It doesn't. And you could just hear it from Jesus himself in Matthew 24, verses 36. Jesus says this. Jesus said, but about the day or the hour, no one knows. No one knows. So if there's anyone that tells you that they completely know, you know, you have to question that because Jesus says no one knows. So he says about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the son, but only the father. So this is Jesus himself saying, it's like, hey, not everyone knows like everything. Like, you know, like not even himself. He doesn't know the hour of uh, when he's going to come back. He's waiting for Father God to let him know to come back. But some, something that I also believe, I believe that God's word is living and active. I believe that God's word is sharper than a double-edged sword. I believe that through the generations, if we were able to get one person from every generation since Jesus walked on this earth and sat them all in a room and discussed the book of Revelation or other scriptures in the Bible, I guarantee you that there's going to be insights or things that they see that are going to be mind-blowing probably to us, or it would enlighten us of the way they interpret certain things from the scripture. But we know God's word is powerful. If we need to sum up the book of Revelation, the main overall message, if I had to boil it down to eight words, is this. It's going to be behind it. It says, stay faithful until the end because God wins. Stay faithful to the end because God wins. If you want to know what the book of Revelation is about, it's about staying faithful. Think, think of Revelations chapter 2 and 3 about how God spoke to the church. It's about be faithful. Be faithful. Don't play games. Stay faithful to God. And then the, the rest of the book, it's about God wins. God wins. God is going to reign. God is king. And that's so important for us to understand. So I'm going to give you four main takeaways that all of us could agree on and anchor ourselves on that are truths that we see in the book of Revelation. The first one is this. Jesus is a conquering king. If you're taking notes, write it down. Jesus is a conquering king. In Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 through 16, it says this. Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth comes a sharp sword, that with it he he should strike 
the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This isn't your baby Jesus. I don't know if there's any scripture that paints us any better, but this isn't little baby Jesus. And let me tell you, so many times Christians want to just see God as like little baby Jesus. We celebrate little baby Jesus or seeing Jesus as my friend or seeing Jesus as just just someone that's always going to pretty much be there and approve or forgive me for everything I do. The reality is Jesus is a warrior. He's a king. And it's not, we can't pick and choose what type of Jesus we want. And the reason why I like the book of Revelation is because you see a side of Jesus that sometimes we miss and we don't get to see. And it almost completes the picture. Many of you know I love Chinese food. Anyone else loves Chinese food? A little bit. Yo, I love Chinese food. Yo, my birthday, January 6th, get me some General South chicken. Unless Jen is cooking for me. If Jen is going to cook for me, then you don't have to get me General South chicken. She cooks pretty good. She, cooks, uh, she makes the best apple pie. <laughs> I had a look at Pastor Diana and Kirk. But I love going to Chinese buffets because I get to pick and choose what I want to eat. And a lot of Christians, pretty much, they treat God and following God the same exact way. When I go to a buffet, I'll pick, I'll pick most of the things because I, I like most of it. But there's certain things I won't pick because it looks weird. I'm not going to eat it. So, so literally, I pick and choose what I want to eat. A lot of Christians, that's the way they pretty much operate. And they deal their relationship with God like that. They're like, you know what, God? I will follow you when you're going to forgive me. We all want God's forgiveness, right? Yeah, yeah. I'll follow you when, when you're going to bless me. Yeah, we, I'll follow you when all things are good. But then all of a sudden, God says, it's like being king. I want you to surrender everything. Everything. That relationship you're in that you're not supposed to be in. That sin that you're tolerating that you know grieves God's heart. Pretty much surrender everything to him. And all of a sudden, we're like, no, 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 I don't want that on my plate. I don't want to follow that type of God type of thing. And we pick and choose what type of God pretty much we want to have to accommodate our own life. Like everything is good about loving God until God's word addresses something in your life that is wrong, but you love that thing more than you love God. So all of a sudden, what you love in your life, when that love is greater than your love for God, you come up with excuses, rationalize things. You'll come up with Bible verses to pretty much justify the way you're living the way you're living. But the Bible is clear in so many things. And one of the things is that he's king and he wants us to surrender everything. Some, something that uh, the, the second point I want to bring home is this. God has a plan and he is executing it. God has a plan and he is executing it. How I read the key verse in Revelation chapter one, verse 19, it says this, 
right there for what you've seen, what is now, and what will take place later. It doesn't say what might take place later. It doesn't say what probably will take place later. It said what's going to take place later. So whether you believe it or you don't, whether you know about it or you don't, whether you choose to reject it or you choose to follow it, God's plan is unfolding and it will continue to unfold. And there's nothing that's going to be able to stop God's plan. Nothing. There's no devil in hell. There's nothing could stop what God wants to accomplish. And it's one of those things that we have the honor of aligning ourselves with God and doing his will and his work. But let me tell you, if you choose not to, one day you're going to have to answer to that. But God is going to accomplish what he wants to accomplish, whether it's with you, through you, or without you. God's going to complete what he has set out to do because that's the way he's king. So one, one of the things that I think it's important for us to realize too is that when we see this, all these terms we talked about, and we talk about the end times, the last days, and all the different books in the Bible that talks about it. For some of us, it's hard to even wrap our minds around it or kind of be like, man, that's like hard to believe. Like, you know, like literally that Jesus is coming back and Jesus is going to reign from this earth and that there's going to be new heaven and earth. It's hard sometimes for Christians to wrap our minds around that, that that's actually going to happen. And I want to even highlight that in the, book, in the Old Testament, there were so many prophecies about Jesus, Jesus coming. You know, Jesus is coming, how we highlight for Christmas, Jesus coming as a baby. So there's so many prophecies. I don't know if you know how many, but there were over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament that Jesus literally, in detail, fulfilled. Now, at that time, when people were sharing those prophecies, I guarantee you some people were like, oh, that sounds weird. Like, all of a sudden, this is going to happen. Like, you know, whatever, there's so many different prophecies. But at that time, they probably thought it sounded weird. It didn't make sense. They couldn't connect the dots. How is it going to take place? Then Jesus comes on the scene and fulfills over 300 prophecies literally in detail. So the way I see it, if the Old Testament, let's say, when it comes to all those prophetic words of Jesus, if that was fulfilled in detail, God doesn't strike out. And it's not like God all of a sudden, it's like, hey, I'm going to get it right for the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's like, it's like, no, it's not going to happen the way we say it's going to happen. But I do want to remind you in the Old Testament, there's books that address the last days too. But God is going to come through and fulfill what he said he was going to do. In Matthew 24, verses 3 to 8, it says this. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said. When will this happen? What will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Jesus answered, 
Watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah and will deceive many. You will hear, uh, uh, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you're not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There'll be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. So here Jesus is pretty much giving some signs of the times. And just to let you know, if you want to hear more of Jesus speaking on this, you could read Matthew chapter 24, Luke chapter 21, and Mark chapter 13. Now, obviously, we don't know exactly what's going to happen, like when it's going to happen, but it's important for us to listen to God's word and to know pretty much the times, the times that we're living in, and not to not be ignorant to the fact that God's plan is moving and there's things taking place. Like I always think of, you know, like the, the mirror, the side view mirror of our car. Like so many times we don't look at the fine print. It says objects in the mirror are closer than they appear. Objects in the mirror are closer than they appear. Like for so many, um, for so many of us, when we're driving for the first time, it takes an adjustment using the mirrors. And a lot of times here, you, you see things, you look at things, you hear about things, and you think that things are far off, but they could be closer than what you could ever imagine. And for every single one of us, we need to be prepared because if Jesus comes back tomorrow, let's say, or we might die tomorrow. You, you, tomorrow's not promised to any of us, but what doesn't change is the fact that we have to be prepared and we have to do God's work and we have to make sure that we're completely surrendered to God. A verse in the end of Revelation, Revelation 22, verse 20, it says this. It says, he who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Jesus says, yes, I'm coming soon. And then um, it says, amen, come Lord Jesus. Amen, come Lord Jesus. Now, something that is important for us to realize Because so many times people say, it's like, well, Jesus said he's coming back soon. It's been over 2,000 years. Like, what's taking him so long? Like, the word soon there, the original meaning doesn't mean immediately. Doesn't mean immediately. It doesn't mean, hey, I'm going to be there just in a little while. It doesn't mean that. The main meaning of that word means without any unnecessary delay. Without any unnecessary delay. Prima saying he has a plan, he's executing it. There's going to be no delays, but when that day comes, that day will come. And we have to be ready for it. The third point is this. This world is not our home. This world is not our home. No matter how comfortable you get, where you're living now, this world is not our home. Right? Like it's one of those things that it's, it's, when people pass away, we need to realize their life continues. But it all depends whether or not they have a relationship with God, where they end up spending the rest of their life. 
you know, if they know God, if they have a relationship with God, they'll be in heaven with God forever. If they reject God, they don't have a relationship with God. If God is not their Lord and Savior, they won't be and they'll be going to hell. That's just the reality that the scriptures give us. But it's hard for us to really accept because so so many times in so many funerals I've been to throughout my whole life, everyone pretty much says they're in a better place. The truth is only God knows. That's the truth. Only God really knows with that. My mom lived in um, her house on Sheridan Avenue for 53 years in the same spot, the same location. And to her, that was home. And she pictured herself being there forever. That pretty much this is home. And this year, we transitioned her to live with my sister. And it's been an adjustment because it's changing residency and pretty much being in a new place. I want to tell you, don't get comfortable here in this world because this isn't home. And if you are focused more, if your eyes are fixed more on the worldly things, on the things that are temporal and not on the spiritual things and what God is doing, honestly, with your own walk, you're missing out on what God is doing. So for each one of us, we have to make sure that we keep our eyes on God. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 14, it says this, for this world is not our home. We're looking forward to our everlasting home in heaven. And the last point I'm going to highlight is this. We will all give an account. We will all give an account. In Revelations chapter 20, verses 11 through 15, it says this. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and the books were opened. Another book was open, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they have done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it. The death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life, was thrown into the lake of fire. Now, I guarantee you that's not anyone's favorite Bible verse, right? No, no one's favorite Bible verse? No? I, I, I don't think any of us would choose this verse as our favorite Bible verse, but this is truth. I just read to you the scripture, and it's one of those things that One day, every single one of us will have to give an account for what we've done with our life, what we've done with our gifts, with our talents, with our time, with our treasures, what we're doing for God, what we're not doing for God. We're going to give an account for chasing after the things of the world instead of chasing after God. We're going to have to give an account for 
wasting so much that pretty much that could have been used for God to bring God glory. And there it talks about the book of life. Every single one of us, we have an opportunity to give our heart to God because we are in the church age, which is known as the age of grace. God wants you to surrender your heart to him. God wants you to give him everything. But so many times we choose not to, but one day we will give an account. So those are the four main takeaways, but we might think it's like, what do we do now? What do we do now? What do we do today as a church? And I just want to read Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 to 25. It says this, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now, this Bible verse has a couple things I want to highlight. But first, I just want to highlight the fact of not giving up meeting together. We know that COVID did a number on pretty much on churches throughout the whole world. But there's so many people that have decided not to go back to church. So many people have decided not to be held accountable, not to grow, not to be in relationship with other people when it comes to the things of God and run after the things of the world. And here it's clear that God wants us to be gathered. God wants us to be together as a family. God wants us to support one another in good times and in bad times. Life is hard. Life is hard. Life is not easy. I mean, recently, like we've seen like famous people and people that we might know as well that have taken their lives because life is hard. And so many times we struggle with things, but keep it to ourselves. We keep it to ourselves. We don't bring it to another brother or sister. We don't want to be accountable. We don't want to grow as a family. And that's something that's so important. And for all of you that are here present, you know, I applaud you for making that commitment. And when you think about it, it's only about two hours you're dedicating on Sunday morning. How easy it is to turn Netflix on at night. How many hours you watch Netflix? How many days do you watch Netflix? How much time you spend on social media? How much time you spend watching TV? To dedicate time to get together, to grow in God is crucial. Now, mind you, I know that some people physically can't for different reasons, and that's different. That's why we do the live stream so that people can have access. But if you can, you should. Something that's interesting here, I just want to say like that word spur in the beginning of the verse, if we could get the verse back in there, it says, and let us consider how we may spur one another. That original word has a very, very unique meaning that I want to highlight. That word means to provoke the person. Provoke the person to the point that they have to respond. Literally, it says almost like jabbing the person. Like, you know, it's not like, hey, um, you know, you, you, like, you, you should... You know, you should do good works. You should, you know, like how it says, 
You should spur one another on to love. Like literally it means you're on them to the point that they're almost at a place that they have to respond. But you know what I see that? That's, I see that as accountability. I see that as speaking the hard truth. I see that as real love. Like if I need you to speak into my life, I don't want you not to tell me the things that I need to hear that's gonna help me get closer to God. I don't want you, if you see something in my life that's not according to scripture, I give you permission to pull me to the side and say, Carlos, you know, I want to spur you on to love and to good works. What you did or what you said is not reflected of that. That is what this verse means, is holding accountable. Be like, look, I'm not going to look the other way. I'm not going to ignore. I'm not going to pretend that something's not right. I'm going to hold you accountable so that you could walk the walk the way that you should. And some of us were like, well, I don't want that type of relationship. Some of us, some of us like, I don't want that type of voice. But when you think about it, that's what this verse means. That verse means that literally we're there for one another and calling things out, of course, in love, but really bringing us to a place that we can't ignore it, but we have to respond. So now in closing, I just want each of us to just think of our life. Like, where are you when it comes to your relationship with God? Because here we're closing the book of Revelation. We know what's to come. We have an idea of terms. And obviously it's impossible to cover everything in one teaching. But I encourage you to dig deep in God's word in the book of Revelation and the other books, key book, the book of Daniel, read these books and dive into it. But it's not about head knowledge. It's about the response of the heart. I don't know where your heart is. I don't know if you have a relationship with God. I don't know if you've walked away from God. I don't know if you're faking the funk and pretending you have a relationship with God. But deep down inside, you know that you're far away. Because one day we will give account. One day we'll be before God. And our hearts have to be in the right place. So right now, I'm just going to ask everyone to bow their heads before God. And I want to give you an opportunity to speak to God. One-on-one, just get things straight with God. You know where you are with him. Whatever you need to bring before him that you have to ask him for forgiveness, ask him for forgiveness. But just know that repentance is not just asking for forgiveness, but deciding to turn away from what you were doing before. Some of us, were holding on to things we shouldn't be holding on to. You could surrender those things to God. Some of us, you know that you're just giving God like 25% of your life, maybe 50%. And even if you feel like you're giving him a lot, maybe 90%, What's up with the last 10%? What are you withholding away from God? God wants to be king, not only of the throne of heaven, but the throne in your heart. Who's sitting on the throne of your heart at this moment? Because there's no family member that should sit on that throne. Your spouse shouldn't be sitting on the throne of your heart. Your children shouldn't be sitting on the throne of your heart. 
No other relationship should be sitting on the throne of your heart. Your goals, your dreams shouldn't be sitting on the throne of your heart. Your career shouldn't be sitting on the throne of your heart. None of those things should be. The only person that should be sitting on the throne of your heart is God. But besides all of those that I've mentioned, so many times we decide to sit on the throne of our hearts. Our lives is about us, what we want to do, what we want to accomplish, what we want to be. We make life about us. But in reality, life is about glorifying God and giving him everything. So if you're here today, I know you've been talking to God. But if you want to surrender everything to God, here we are approaching Christmas knowing that the greatest gift we've received is him. But the greatest gift we could give to God is our heart. So if you want to surrender everything to him even now, I want you to stand to your feet. Just stand to your feet. Just do it as a declaration that your heart is his. As we're getting close to end this year as well, we want to make sure that our heart, every ounce of our heart belongs to God. Father God, we thank you so much for this day. I thank you for every single person that's here. I thank you that today we've been able to go through the book of Revelation and get an idea of the overview of it. We thank you that you've called us to be faithful, faithful to you, and we choose to be faithful today. God, we thank you that you went you win. We might not understand all the details of how everything is going to unfold, but we know that you win and we trust you and we anchor ourselves in that truth. God, you see every heart that's surrendering everything. I pray that you would touch them even at this moment. And as they release and let go of those areas of their hearts, that you would flood their hearts and lives with your presence like never before. And even right now, this moment, I pray, Holy Spirit, that your presence would be so tangible in this room that you would embrace every person here. You're the one that reveals truth. I pray that you would give revelation to every person here from the words that were shared and from your scriptures, God, of what you're doing in their lives and in this life, God. So God, we surrender everything to you today in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen, amen. Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth is a Christian community whose mission is to love God, make disciples, and change the world. You can learn all about us by visiting cfofelizabeth.com. We meet each Sunday at 1030 a.m. at the Liberty Center in Elizabeth, as well as at various times throughout the week. If you'd like to see a video recording of the full worship service this teaching came from, you can watch on demand on our YouTube channel, and you can join us live online every week by visiting cfofelizabeth.live. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Make sure you subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher so you never miss an episode. See you next time.